Welcome to Teachings in the Air. air, air. podcast with Jerry Oldman, coming to you from Hunkameenam Territory with a podcast series about indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit, because that's what health means. Hello, this is Teachings in the Air with Jerry Oldman. I'm coming to you today from Winnipeg, the homelands of the Cree, OG Cree, Dakota. Métis, Casca, Dene, and all the visitors that come from all over the world to Manitoba. I'm so glad to be here today. The podcast, I thought I would call it Diabetes World, with me, my family, my community. Because there's not one Indigenous community in Canada immune from this diabetes disease. You know, and as, as I was coming to this podcast, of course, I'd say, why? Why are we afflicted with this right across the country? And of course, a word colonization trauma come to mind. You know, that because in, as indigenous people, we all were traumatized by the colonial experience from the laws and the policies that were made up to take over our land and our country. And be, by doing that, they broke down our values. You know, the, our laws were sort of cast to the side and we start following Canadian law. You know, and there's been much harm created for individuals, families, and communities because of this. There's been social harm to our community across Turtle Island. We are now diagnosed with diabetes at a younger age as the history of diabetes unravels in this country. We have severe symptoms when we're diagnosed already. By the time they diagnose many of our people, that already they already have severe symptoms. We face higher rates of complications and the sad thing is many indigenous people experience poor treatment when they do get diagnosed with diabetes because of the institutionalized racism in this country. Every institution has a racist. Like I tell people, Canada is not racist. Canada has racists. The health system is not racist. They have racist doctors and nurses. Diabetes Canada have created a strategy 
And part of that is to adopt best practices to reduce the human burden of this rapid, rapidly escalating disease. And they also said they're going to support the need for unique, tailored approaches led by indigenous peoples to reduce the burden of diabetes for the diabetics and their families. And what comes out of this is a National Aboriginal Diabetes Association. It started in 1996. So brothers and sisters have been part of this movement to reduce the burden of diabetes since 1996. And I'm so proud of those indigenous people that answered the call. Because what they do is they bring awareness about diabetes and they start to share about prevention, what we can do to prevent by providing diabetes resources for diabetics, providing information for diabetics. This wonderful organization also hosts nat national conferences and they partner with other organizations in support of specific projects to reduce diabetes and to deal with the complications. So I'm just so glad today to and honored to have board members from this wonderful organization, National Indigenous Diabetes. I'm just so, you know, I, I, I've had family members I myself, I'm so blessed I do not have type 1 or type 2 diabetes, but I've had family members and people close to me that had this affliction. And some of them were taken because of complications of diabetes before they were meant to go. So I'm just so happy and proud today. I had a warm feeling when I see my guests come on to this Teachings in the Air podcast, that they come here to share with the people. I was thinking of when I seen them, we can do what I can't do. When I seen my guests pop up on our screen and I hear their voices, that feeling of we can do what I can't do. That that indigenous resilience awakened in me again as soon as I see my guests. So I'm going to have them introduce themselves and we're going to start from the eastern part of the country and I'm going to ask Mary to, if you can introduce yourself, where you're from and um, a little bit about your life and your family. Anin, Bozo, Mary Bokas Nistikas, Nabising uh, Dunjaba. I'm from, um, my name is Mary Bokash. I unfortunately do not have my spirit name as of yet, but that's something that I plan on working on. Um, but I am from Nipsing First Nation, which is just outside of North Bay, Ontario, in northeastern Ontario. And um, I'm live. I live right on the lake, so I get to see the uh, the lake in its splendor every time it changes throughout the year. Um, I'm here. I'm a new member of the NIDA board, but I um, I do have a history of diabetes in my family. 
Um, my, uh, my grandmother actually, who lived with us when I was younger, she had diabetes and she, um, she had those complications that you mentioned. Um, she, um, you know, she, her eyes were affected, her legs were affected. I remember, um, as a child, probably about seven or eight years old, I would fill up her syringes for her because I could see the lines on her syringes and she couldn't. So that she could um, inject herself with her insulin in the morning. And then I would help her again when I'd be home um, after school. But that was part of my morning routine. And she passed She passed when I was 10 years old. And I sort of carried her with me um, throughout the years. And then um, if we look back on, um, on my diabetes journey, um, I started with gestational diabetes, but I didn't really know um, how serious it was. And along that gestational path, um, my kidneys started to fail. So um, I knew about my kidneys at the same time that I was officially diagnosed with diabetes. And I had a crash start into kidney failure. My kidneys were at about 12% function maybe less at that point. Um, I crashed into, um, I had had a seizure at the hospital and went into a coma for four days. And they dialyzed me every day to to get all the toxins out of my body. And then dialysis became uh, part of my life for two years. Um, And in that time, I uh, I decided to, to, I, I shared my story throughout throughout the uh, the whole journey, but I decided that I wanted a a living donor if possible, because it was it would be an eight year wait on average based on my blood type to wait for a deceased donor kidney. So um, I put it out there. I put out the information. I didn't ask people, but I let people know that that was what was going on with me and what I needed. And my cousin actually donated her kidney to me. And so we'll be, we'll be celebrating seven years in March this month. So it's led me to a lot of activities and it's led me here today. And I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Mary. That's a wonderful celebration. I celebrate with you, and thank you for sharing that. Okay, Michael, can you introduce yourself now to the people? Uh, sure. Uh, thank you very much for, for having me. It's uh, nice to see you again. And um, so, yeah, my name is Mike Alexander. I am uh, 47 years old. I'm originally from Swan Lake First Nation, um, Treaty Number One territory. I've been making my home in um, a faraway place uh, here in British Columbia. I've been kind of trying to figure out where my home is, and currently, I am in uh, Vancouver, and I'm having a very lovely time here. Um, just kind of taking charge of my career, taking charge of my life, and just kind of you know, enjoying the the ride that uh, life is giving me. And, you know, I, I am a, I'm a product of the 60s scoop. I never met my, my biological parents. 
I was adopted out of uh, my community at a very young age, and I grew up in Winnipeg uh, in a non-native, you know, household. Um, and it wasn't, you know, until much, much later in life that I realized that there is a trauma associated with uh, being removed from uh, culture, community, language, and family um, that, you know, sort of explained some of the the things that had happened in my life with respect to addiction and um, major depression and uh, ultimately type 2 diabetes. Um, you know, so for, for the last six years now, I've uh, been on this sort of uh, journey of healing, um, you know, trying to reclaim, you know, who I am, uh, reclaiming my identity, you know, as this Anishinaabe fella, um, and, you know, taking a real close look at, at culture and, and what all of these things mean to me, um, using sort of uh, endurance sport as a sort of way to help kind of cope with uh some of the pain that I've experienced as well as, you know, to sort of heal my body and, um, you know, to be able to kind of look at my spirit as a, a really important part of, of who I am. You know, it's the, the mind, body and spirit sort of um, aspects that I think are, are really important to me. So uh, as a result of looking into, you know, what it's like to live with diabetes, I came across uh, Nita and an old friend of mine, Jeff, who is the executive director, and shared with him a little bit about my story. And here I am, um, you know, elected to the board to, I guess, share my sort of lived experience with uh, type 2 diabetes. Currently, you know, not on any uh, diabetic medications at all, just sort of relying on um, diet and exercise to get the job done so that I can live um, a healthy life to to the extent that that's possible, which, you know, it's actually totally possible. Uh, I've never felt better, never, uh, never felt more healthy in my life. And so I credit sort of this uh, embracing of my culture as, uh, as the fundamental sort of like reasons why I am here today. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Okay, Margareta. Hello. Um... Klaus Jakob, Klao Margarita James, Machlat Aksops, Uhumiyuksu Euphemia Stager, Slalom Aksops Meet, Unuiyuksu Salvador Reyes Tirasona, Filipino Naat. That's who I am, and I feel really honored, Jerry, Mary, and Mike, to be sitting here with you uh, talking about us and our lived experience with diabetes. Uh, I've been on the board. I always still feel like I'm a newbie on the board. I've only been on the board as the elder female since last February. And um, I always feel real honored uh, to participate in uh, whatever I can just to share my experience. Um, 
the board is really uh, accomplishing a lot in terms of uh, getting information out there and really uh, trying to prevent what is one of the most um, prevalent uh, diseases in our, in our communities. So um, I've been, I was diagnosed 10 years ago and uh, diabetes was in my family. Um, an uncle on my dad's side uh, was diabetic and I found out when I was about six or seven years old and I didn't know what it was, but he was really careful about uh, things that he ate and, you know, so I knew that, that it was quite serious. So, um, but I didn't learn much about it until uh, an adult and um, I was really shocked and surprised and horrified when I got diagnosed because I had friends who um, didn't look after themselves and several who passed from complications. So I became really aware of how serious it is. And so that's what I try and do. Try and stay healthy. Um, move, move. I do uh, yoga stretches and movement in the morning without fail. I take my meds and, you know, try and eat healthy. And, but the challenge for me is, is all the emotional, spiritual stuff. You know, when we live in communities where there's so, so much, um, uh, some of the effects of residential and, you know, that happening, even in my own, and especially in my own family. So that, that's very challenging to me because the emotional and spiritual side of us is so, so important um, because it causes stress and on all those things we really need to work on seriously. So anyway, that's uh, just my introduction. Like I say, I'm honored to sit with you and share and uh, thank you for Jerry for hosting this uh, really important uh, gathering. Chu. Sure, thank you. You know, um, I've been around the health field now for, since 1976, I started working in addictions. And it wasn't until 1995, I was asking, why, why are we this way as indigenous people, some of us? Why are, do we have addictions, suicide, diabetes? You know, because those numbers kept popping up, they call them determinants. So and then when I, I had an opportunity to talk to teenagers and youth, and I, I realized I need to share with them where we come from as a people, to give them a point of reference. So I started to go back in time, talking to elders, how were we as a people? And of course, I'd found out how healthy we were before contact with European lifestyle, that we we're very strong in our mind, our body, and our spirit. And I'd ask, how, how was that so? And then they said, of course, they talk about the diet. 
about the food we used to eat, how we'd harvest it, how we'd take care of it, how would we would respect it. Then they would talk about the ceremony and ritual to for healing, to keep us strong. So I would talk about that with the youth, and I tell them, you come from a beautiful, healthy people before contact. Like I'd say my own family, for instance, my great-grandfather, Patsé, was 105 when he passed to the spirit world. I said, to reach that age, you must be very healthy. You must be very sound in mind, body, and spirit. And I said, all of our people across Turtle Island were like this because of the way we lived our, in Clackman, our way of life, our laws that we live by for generosity, respect, knowledge, family, all of those laws and, that we had ensured that we were healthy human beings, that you know, prevention is the best medicine. I've learned that. People would tell it, but I come to realize it. If we can prevent before it happens, that's the best. So I would think of, remember I said, why Why are we this way? Because I traveled from Gold River all the way to Labrador and visited communities and would see the same afflictions. You know, diabetes, diet problems, you know, physical problems, you know, suicide, you know, all of the things that had been happening now since I've been a child. I would see people intoxicated. I'd see people fighting. There would be people that would suicide. So I'd seen that. And I finally realized that alcohol and drugs, they are bad for the people, but it wasn't the main problem. The main problem was the trauma that our people affected, that were impacted by. Trauma means to be wounded. So our mind, our body, and our spirit were wounded by the colonial experience. Our mind through racist talk like those stupid Indians, those crazy drunken Indians. As children, we are absorbing those messages and affect our mind. Our bodies in the, in the residential school that Mary referred to, our people were physically and sexually violated. And, um, you know, the whole area of residential school, racism, 60 scoop, it all, it all had an impact on us, on our immune systems and how we lived, our food, everything was impacted. In one of the areas I see around diabetes, like Mary was talking about kidneys and about eyes, how people start to lose their eyesight because of diabetes. And one of the things I started to be aware of was the emotions or the feelings of a diabetic. What I started, what were they? Because one of my best friends all of a sudden, you know, five years ago got diabetes and he got depressed. I asked my, I called him his sister, my sister. I said, Where's my brother? Because all of a sudden he dropped out of sight and he said, She said, Oh, he was diagnosed with diabetes and he's depressed. 
Yeah, I says, oh, you know, so as, as I wanted to, one of the reasons why I'm so glad that we're all together today, because you're role models for diabetics and for families that have diabetics in their family, because you have this knowledge and experience now about living with diabetes. So one of the questions I I wanted to raise with you is the emotional part of your life with diabetes. How did it impact you emotionally? And what helped you out of that if you were impacted emotionally? Because our emotions are anger, love, pride, shame. You know, those are the feelings that we all go through as human beings. Like my, I talk, I shared with you about my friend, like he got depressed. And it wasn't for a couple of months, and he finally comes out, and he'd lost weight, you know. His body changed because of diabetes. And I, I didn't have a chance to ask him, you know, what helped him out of that emotional block. Because sometimes our emotions will block us, and we stop growing, we stop moving. So we started with Mary last time. I'd like to start with Mike and the sharing circle now. Mike, can you talk about your emotional experience and diabetes and what helped you with your emotions? I remember the day I was diagnosed. um, You know, I I knew that something was wrong. I knew that, uh, you know, there were some symptoms that I'd been sort of ignoring, that had been willfully sort of you know, not wanting, you know, I, I refused to see a doctor for many years because I was really scared of what, you know, they would find uh, as far as the extent of my health problems, you know, were, or what I perceived them to be. So I finally, you know, found the courage to actually, you know, uh, submit to, you know, uh, full examination and the guidance and, you know, of my nurse practitioner who was really incredible, non-judgmental, really kind, compassionate, and really understanding, you know? And when I sort of opened myself up to that, yeah, the, the diagnosis was, was really brutal. Um, it was, uh, it was very sad, you know, for the first five minutes, I just kind of wept, um, you know, really sort of thinking, uh, geez, my life is over, you know? And I think, what ended up happening was that, you know, I had committed to riding a bike, you know, um, in Vancouver, up and down the highway, kind of up the hills, down the hills, anywhere I could find, um, just to sort of try to feel better, you know. Um, and the, the funny thing about exercise is that it sort of releases chemicals in the mind that sort of help us to make to, to feel better about ourselves. And slowly but surely, I started losing weight, you know, like, there were things that happened to my body that I could see sort of changing. You know, um, I started to eat, you know, a lot differently than I used to. And this helped, you know, that process as well. And, you know, as my body sort of changed, um, I started to feel like, oh, my gosh, there's like, like, th- you know, something's happening here. And, and I became encouraged by that. It wasn't so much of a, a death sentence anymore as it was an opportunity to 
have a second chance at, at life, you know, and it's, it's a hard place to be, you know, I won't, I won't lie. I won't pretend it's not true. It can be a really, um, a really bad piece of, of news for someone who gets, you know, newly diagnosed. But for me, it sort of became really this opportunity to fully embrace my life, you know, to take control, to, to make better choices for myself for once in my life. And, you know, the combination of developing this positive mental attitude is sort of reinforced by my determination to actually do something, you know, to take that negative energy that I'd used to destroy my life for so many years to turn it into a positive. So the same energy was now being used to save my life as opposed to destroy it. So it's a process, you know, everyone's going to sort of have a different experience with it. Uh, for me, that's kind of uh, what happened. Thank you, Mike. Ma Margareta. Hmm. Yeah, that brings me back to um, first being diagnosed, uh, like I said, 10 years ago, and uh, knowing a little bit about diabetes, like I sa said earlier, it was pretty devastating and horrific, especially when loved ones, you know, have passed because of it. One person, one person that was really close to me was uh, Rosa. Her nickname was Tag, Tag, and she she had to take insulin every day, um, but she didn't really look after herself. She was alcoholic, and she ended up um, with uh, two amputations. You know, one uh, her foot, and then her. her her other um, from the knee down. And um, yeah, it's just so sad. And uh, that, you know, our loved ones, you know, just choose not to, to look after themselves. That's so when you have those uh, experiences with your loved ones it, and you get diagnosed, then it's, it's really a wake up call. And it's all about, um, uh, acceptance, you know, and um, taking control, you know, deciding, um, you know, like Mike said, you know, make make better choices about your life and what you want to do with your life. You know, me, I want to stay alive. <laughs> you know, I've got children and grandchildren. I live in a beautiful community. I, I live in a beautiful world. And I want to be here to enjoy and just share my experience so um, like I said when I got diagnosed it was really about acceptance you got to really accept what happens to you what, to you and um, think really think about in your mind and in your heart and in your spirit about how uh, how you can take control so I had to really um, like him, like Mike, I had I lost sixty pounds, and uh, really had to make a plan and, you know, do do what I can daily. And it's it, it is a struggle. Um, it it really is a struggle struggle, and it, and it really it's a whole, um, well they call it mindset, you know, uh, you know a life strategy, a life plan. You're on this new journey, and you have to really. 
um, focus and keep going that way with whatever you can to make to make your life better and you have to with diabetes you can't just continue on um, like my friend Rosa and just continue to drink and you know not look after yourself so that's um, that's for me that's it's really it really is emotional because you have to really lift up your spirit to work on yourself and really work on your life and make good choices. Thank you, Margarita. Mary. Now you're really making me think about this because, you know, part of it for me too was I lived in my First Nations community, but we, we didn't, ha when I was growing up, we didn't have, you know, those anchors, those supports that, you know, that cultural, uh, that cultural basis, you know, that foundation. Um, and I, I, my house, like I have a creek on one side of my house, and on the other side is North Bay. So I went to school in the city, in the city, and you know, most of my friends, you know, were were, you know, were white or you know, were were non-indigenous, and and you know, you you try to sort of, you know, there's these inherent teachings in your mind, but there, you know, you you live, you know, walking that, you know, that balance, right? And, you know, I moved away once I, um, once I finished high school and moved away for school and, and, you know, made my life, you know, elsewhere and, you know, living that sort of that, not a fast paced life in terms of, you know, really, you know, put moving in my career and being involved in my son's life and, you know, with my husband and, and things like that. And just sort of taking care of everybody else and not necessarily taking care of myself um and you'd you'd see these signs and you'd be like oh yeah I'm just tired because I'm stressed out and things like that and just not even really sort of listening to your body I think that was probably you know if I could go back and just sort of you know pay attention to things in a different way and I think you know you know, and, and, and no blame, but I don't think I was really equipped to, to listen to my body in that way. Um, I wasn't taught those, you know, those, those, those teachings to sort of, you know, to, you know, and then, and then there's a whole self-worth thing that goes with that too, right? And for me, when I was diagnosed, yeah, it was that wake up call too. And I was always really active. But I, too, was overweight, and I lost about 70, 75 pounds with my son, who's now 30. He was about 10. And, um, you know, uh, we used to we used to um, kayak and canoe and do all sorts of stuff like that. So, you know, we weren't we weren't sedentary at all. Um, but it's still I mean, you know it was on both sides of my family and I keep joking that I sort of dodged a bullet for as long as I could. Right. But once, once things were in my face and they were, um, I couldn't dodge the bullet anymore. I had to deal with them and I had to deal with how I lived my life and I had to deal with, you know, what was in my life and, and how that was benefiting me and how, you know, how I was benefiting others and sort of all that sort of self-reflection too really was a really important part of my, my healing or my coming to terms with it. Um, you know, and, and, you know, it's, 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 
it's all over our community. And even, you know, I go to, when I was going to dialysis, I had, you know, community members, relatives um, on dialysis at the same time as me, or they were coming and going through the dialysis clinic as I, as I was coming and going. So, you know, you start to realize that this is bigger than just me, um, you know, and you start to think about how, and I'm, 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 I'm not big picture thinker. I start to, to think and sort of go down that road, but I always have to bring myself back to self and, um, and, and, and root and balance myself. Um, and, you know, learning coming back and, and, and I moved back to my community about 10 years ago and the change in our community from when I was a kid was like night and day. Um, so much, so much energy, good energy, you know, um, living a good life, um, ceremony, language revitalization, all of those things. And to be here when all of that is happening and being able to take part in that, I think was a really important part of my healing. When I look back at um, when I crashed into kidney failure, um, I was home. I had just moved home about a year before that. And I don't think that I would be here today if I hadn't been home. Because it wasn't just me and my family supporting me. It was the community that supported me as well. And I think that was a really important part. Thank you, Mary. Thank you for sharing that. You know, the emotional realm of all of us human beings, you know, for us to have what they call resilience, which means we can recover quickly after we've been traumatized or given bad news, we can recover. And we can find a way to have a quality life. Because there's, and I think of the, um, my relatives that had diabetes and my frustration at times when they wouldn't follow their diet. And, uh, one of my cousins, I told him, you can't have that cousin. And he'd look at me and say, I'm not diabetic today, Jerry, don't worry. You know, and I'd want to go take it away from him, you know, and he would just frustrate me. You know, and, um, yeah. So, because um, the goal of this is to inspire diabetics, you know, to, to listen to experts and people that know and, you know, to, and I think of my relatives, like, like um, Margarita was sharing about Rose, you know, my uncle all of a sudden lost his big toe. Then next thing you know, it's half of his foot. Next thing you know, it's his whole foot, you know, and he's not listening. He's not and I remember the, I guess, the stubbornness. And I say, why can't you use that stubbornness to, <laughs> to fight, to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat this or I'm going to live with it? You know, so one of the questions I wanted to ask was, what was your inspiration? What was your saving grace with this experience of diabetes? Was it an individual? Was it just something you all of a sudden said, okay, I'm going to fight this, or I'm going to beat this? You know, or I'm not going to let it take me. What was uh, what was it with you that um, 
that helped you to say, I want to live. Like Margareta said it, you know, I'm not going to die from this, you know. But Margareta, we'll start with you. Was there someone in your life that helped you or it's just your own mind was made up? I think it's a collective for me. It was a lot of, you know, my life experiences, the good and the bad. Um, the most important for me, though, was my children and my grandchildren. And in the community, you know, those that follow after us. And one of our elder ladies the other day, we were having an elders engagement session, and she asked what that word resiliency, what, what does that mean? And, um, you know, recovering quickly from trauma um, really, you know, comes to mind um, because we've lived, we've all, all Indigenous people have, have had to recover from trauma, whatever that is. Um, and I think that's been my inspiration is my, my, my children and grandchildren watching, you know, watching them grow and enjoying life and really being um, spiritually strong, you know, and developing that uh, life and that the strength of life energy um, and love, you know, just that whole love of family. Um, I know our communities are so challenged with um, well, like what I don't know what they call it now, suicide assist programs or whatever. Which I never liked it when they used that word, <laughs> suicide um, uh, workshops. But um, it really gets down to um, those core values of life, those those important things. And I saw it in my grandmother. You know, Granny, I, I saw it in her, her love of life, her just love of, um, you know, even going to church, which, you know, in some communities, it's so devastating, Christianity, you know, when they came in, but um, my grandma really appreciated life, appreciated being able to talk, to say the mass in the language, you know, and because it was a good thing, you know, and one of our elders here, because I'm a married in, said the church didn't come to do bad things they came to do good things you know and all all those collective thoughts and and experiences that really make you appreciate who you are where you come from and you know wanting to really embrace life and that's kind of just really a collective thought um about my diabetes because it was pretty, like I say, devastating, but um, wanting to just live life, like I say, and appreciate it and share it with my, you know, my grandchildren, my quaotes and my children and, um, you know, just, just taking the love. So anyway, th those are my quick thoughts anyways. Thank you, Margareta. Yes. V, 
Beautiful thoughts. <laughs> Thank you. Mary, what was your inspiration? What was your saving grace? Um, I too sort of think um, generations back and generations forward. Yeah, I mentioned my grandmother um, in my introduction, but um, she was only alive for, you know, 10 years of my life. Um, and she died in 1980, but she's just been so, so influential and just such an anchor for me. Um, you know, we, when I was a child, we learned how to read and write together. Um, you know, so we had that bond too, you know, we were reading books to each other when at bedtime and, and, and whatnot. So, um, but I mean, she was diagnosed with diabetes in the fifties, sixties, maybe, and they told her that she had like five years to live. And she lived until 1980. So, you know, it's that, you know, again, that sort of um, determination, that stubbornness, um, the bullheadedness, as she would say, um, you know, uh, keeps me going too. You know, and, and, I, and I witnessed her too, like, you know, her vision. Her vision was going, but she also, what happened when she finally, um, when she finally made her spirit journey was she had lost her legs and they didn't know how bad it was until they went in, right? So um, they thought it was only going to be the one and then they checked the other and then she ended up losing both of her legs. And I honestly think that that's what was the point for her to say, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. But, you know, she fought. She helped my she helped my 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 grandfather build their house and, you know, all of those things that you would do because you didn't have anybody else to do that stuff with you, right? And, you know, and I'm hoping that the lessons that I learn and the mistakes that I make are things that my son and my grandson and other people in my family can learn from as well. And um, you know, try to give them you know, try to give them some good teachings and, and, you know, things to sort of learn how to take care of themselves as they go on. And hopefully they can pass that forward as well. Um, yeah, waking up from a coma was a real um, moment to be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to keep going. I'm not done. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. I just tried to imagine waking up from a coma. Like my grandson went into a coma and woke up with type 1 diabetes. And he's five years old. You know, and I was going, oh, you know. And that's when I really started supporting fundraising for Diabetes Canada and stuff. You know, saying, I have to do something here. Mike, what was your saving grace with your life that you're still here today? Um, so yeah, when I was diagnosed, I was also, um, entering sobriety, you know, for the first time since I was like 16, <coughs> excuse me. And, you know, I, I was basically homeless, you know, I had just survived a suicide attempt and I was starting over, you know, I was this guy who had hit rock bottom. And, you know, once I started attending AA, I, I learned what rock bottom was and realized, oh, that's me. And 
not only that, but everyone in this room has the exact same story as me, pretty much. And, you know, I was kind of blown away by that. And, you know, the physical exercise part for me can't be, you know, overstated. Um, I have had such a strong ability to uh, be a negative force, you know, in my mind, in my life, on my relations. You know, it's a byproduct of depression and, and trauma. And part of recovering from alcoholism for me is to really sort of examine choices I've made for myself and to, to realize, like, I'm capable of anything, you know, like I can do anything that anyone else can. And that's a belief that I have instilled in myself, which is why, you know, I've been able to do um, really, you know, things, a uh, hundred kilometer bike ride, you know, um, I've done triathlon, you know, I have do, I, I'm interested in, you know, riding 7,000 kilometers a year on, on my bike and, you know, prior to my diagnosis, while living in active addiction and all this stuff, we would laugh about the idea of me sort of um, being well. And, you know, my inspiration was like, you know, turning those that laughter and that sort of self negative self talk, and really sort of doing something completely opposite, you know, try thinking positive, try, you know, try new things, try a new way, like be kind to yourself, you know, for a change. And it really sort of is a mindset for me. And that's where the resilience piece um, comes in. You know, I happen to be, you know, bullheaded as well. And I'm really glad to hear, you know, Margaret and Mary talk about, you know, this part of what it takes to get through um, the the darkest days when you realize, oh my gosh, I have to change, you know, my lifestyle. Like my lifestyle isn't sustainable. Um, and that's what it comes down to. I started seeing progress. You know, I started, you know, I, I'd end up losing over a hundred pounds. You know, I, I, I'm doing incredible, you know, I just can't believe it. You know, like my life is so much more full now. Um, it makes, you know, I have so much more happiness and this ongoing drive to be happy sort of makes it so that, you know, I realize like, oh man, I got to do this for my kids. You know, like I need to connect with my family. You know, I need to sort of be there in a way that I haven't before, because for me, it's going to be through family where I find healing and forgiveness, you know, uh, for myself and for the things that I've done. Um, so yeah, like I'm, I'm hardcore, like I'm a hardcore alcoholic, you know, I'm not even a, a light one. Like I'm, I go full on and which is why I also need to be really hardcore about my recovery and to not accept compromise or to have an off day, you know, like it's fine to, you know, maybe eat something like a piece of cake now and again, I guess, but it's because it's about making a a healthier choice. It's not about yes or no. It's about kind of being realistic about what we can do today to make a difference in our lives. And that sort of belief sort of makes it possible to keep my head up high and to sort of realize, you know, 
I can accomplish as much as I'd like to today. And to take that learning, that knowledge, that experience to tomorrow and applying it to then. And that's what it's about for me is a positive mental attitude. Thank you, Mike. Usually I ask my guests to pick a group that you'd like to give a message to about diabetes. It could be your children or grandchildren or friends or just people at large. What kind of message would you like to give to people to stop this diabetes or to live a better life? Just think of a message you'd like to give. Could be to the ladies in our communities or to the grandparents or to the children or just pick a group you'd like to give a message to about living a good life. So we'll start with Margareta. Thanks, Jerry. Um, we just came, came out of a health fair, a wellness fair, uh, the last, last couple of days. And I was talking uh, uh, at length with uh, uh, registered dietitian oh, about my my own uh, uh, issues and but um, if I were to ad address a specific group I would like to speak to the young people the young people um, we had a young fellow just get diagnosed a month before COVID and he's I think when he in his early 20s and um, I wish I could really sit down and I'm going to make an attempt to really sit down with him and, and chat about um, being diabetic. Um, and I really hope um, we can connect, you know, so he, he can at least hear my experience. And um, I hope he listens, you know, um, I hope uh, our connection will um, encourage him to reach out to get more information about being diabetic and um, to really find his voice because um, we're 221 strong here at our on our reserve which is not a lot of people it's mostly family and um, I'd really like to encourage him though to for him to find his voice you know if he's wondering what's happening to him if you know w with his diabetes and um, just, you know, really getting more knowledge, taking in more knowledge so he can, you know, be better prepared to make some key life choices, you know, as a young person, uh, in his early twenties, I think I'd, if I was to speak to somebody and I'm going to <laughs> trust me, um, have a little, little chat with Richard, uh, our young people, one of our young people comes from a big family and uh, just think information, getting information and listening to other, what other people do about being diabetic, I think is important. You know, so he can just take it in and uh, hopefully it'll, it'll encourage and help him become engaged with his, uh, with his diabetes. Thank you, Margareta. Mary, your chance to give a message. Oh, I think that that idea of opening up to others and sharing those stories and information is a really good idea. But um, I'm kind of going to go in a different 
in a different direction here based on a lot of the work I do in patient engagement and research. I think there is, um, I know we have a historic um, mistrust of research. And I know we feel that we've been researched to death, but there's opportunities for us to, to grab onto that research and do research. We need data about our people and about what our people are experiencing. Um, and it doesn't always have to be done by non-Indigenous people. I think we need more, more of our youth, of anybody who wants to go to school, to be doctors, to be researchers, to, to be able to, to learn about these things and find out about these things. And people in the community don't have to just be um, patient participants in a research study or subjects. They can be partners in creating the research that their communities need and want. And I think for me, that's probably one of the most powerful things that we can do. Thank you. That's a wonderful message. I hope my grandchildren hear this. <laughs> Mike, who, who would you give a message to? Um, I, I almost always feel extremely unqualified to give advice to, to anyone. You know, it's just like, I feel like I'm still learning myself. So I kind of feel like I would like to talk to, you know, 17 year old me, you know, if I could go back in time and sit down with myself, you know, I, I'd, I'd want to tell, tell that kid that, you know, what you feel is real. Like no one can tell you that the pain you feel isn't real. It's based on something that you experienced and it's something you're going to have to deal with. You know, you're going to have to plow through this, you know, you're going to have to find a way through. And the way that you can do that is to not be so hard on yourself, you know, to not close yourself off from so many people that care and love for you. You know, I, I tell that kid, it's okay to, to not trust institutions, you know, like, Canada can be, you know, as, as, as you were saying, like Canada, there's, there's a lot of racism here that sort of makes our lives miserable. And that's, but that doesn't sort of mean that you can't do really well. Um, and that takes the kind of strength that you have inside of you. Um, you're a strong, you're a strong guy. You're a young guy. You're a smart guy and you deserve good things for yourself and there's so much potential you know life is such a beautiful beautiful thing if you really sort of look at it um with the amount of honesty that that you want to you know um anything's possible and that's just the way it is no matter how you feel Yes. Oh, I'd like to thank my guests. This is Jerry Oldman from Teachings in the Air, and I've got wonderful teachings on this platform going out into the air. 
And I, my prayer is it lands on a lot of ears of our people right across Canada so they can say, we can do what I can't do. And I can heal, we can heal, because heal means to become original again. If we watch our diet, we exercise, we do what the shkuna'am or the healers tell us to do, and also more importantly, I'd like to give a message myself personally today to all the ones that are going to be parents. Teach your children about the importance of taking care of yourself, of your body, your mind, and your spirit. Be careful what you put into that body. And um, we can be like our ancestors that were very healthy. They couldn't find diabetes in our people or cancer or heart disease when they studied the remains of our people, which proves we were very healthy. So let's go home to that, being healthy. I'd just like to thank my guests today. It's been such an honor and a blessing for me to sit with you. And I so respect and admire your courage to show the world your heart and what happened with you and how you're still here today. You are living proof to our people that we can do this, that we can have a quality life, even if we have diabetes. So I want to thank you, and I just, I'm just ever so grateful because I've lost loved ones to diabetes. I have family today that are living with diabetes. And um, I'm just so ever grateful for you, for your courage and your commitment your love for the people. Because that's what I see when I see you, that you love the people, that you come to that through having commitment to your own life. Because love is about commitment. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to fight. I'm going to do what's right. That's what you're doing. You're a wonderful role model. And I'm just so glad that you were here today and I'm going to let you go now. And I just want to thank you. And I cannot, I just say thank you all day and all evening if I could, if I was with you. I am just so ever grateful for your contribution to this podcast. Thank you.